It's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. For this episode, we're having a conversation with Sandy Rao, Dr. Vishnu Bisram, and Dr. Indrani Ramprasad about the Indo-Caribbean Hindu community, the lack of representation of the Caribbean Hindu diaspora in New York City school textbooks, the current situation for Hindus in Guyana and Trinidad, and much more. So let's just jump right into this. Can you both introduce yourselves? So listeners, this is obviously audio only. So people know who's talking and the expertise you're going to bring to this conversation. Right. So I am Dr. Vishnu Bisram. I am uh, from Guyana, um, from um, a, the rural area where Indians uh, dwell in Guyana. And I migrated to the United States in 1977 for my tertiary education, then went on to complete several uh, undergraduate degrees as well as the postgraduate degrees and PhDs. Uh, my expertise is in a variety of fields, primarily on the Indian diaspora. And I write very extensively on, on the Indian diaspora itself, uh, penning countless articles in the in the Caribbean uh, media, as well as in uh, books and journals, magazines, and, and other uh, mass media. So I, uh, professionally, I've um, I been a teacher uh, for over 35 years. I semi-retired uh, with the New York City Board of Education. I travel very extensively in Indian diasporic countries throughout the Caribbean, as well as uh, Asia and, and India, of course. And um, I, my research is focused on the Indian diaspora primarily. Great. And Sandy, so people know where you're coming from in this? Yes. Hi. Uh, namaste. My name is Sandy Rao. I'm uh, here in New York also with uh, Vishnu Ji. I'm a member of the community here in uh, Lower Westchester, having also lived in Queens at one point. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And uh, Vishnu Ji, I met coincidentally through listening uh, to an old uh, HAF podcast with him, um, Ramesh Sadeo and uh, Fred Stella and uh, Vishnu and I connected. We became very good friends and I look at him as a mentor and a guru. I've um, basically been involved with various projects regarding academic Hinduphobia in my community. I'm an HAF Dharma ambassador and uh, really got awoken to this um, issue regarding the um, mistreatment um, and the inaccurate representation of Hinduism in the textbooks uh, when I had the birth of um, when my daughter was first, my older daughter was first born, um, and then being concerned for what they are going to be privy to as they get older in the schools. Um, and also, um, we have a unique household. Um, I was born here. Uh, both of my parents are from South India. My wife uh, also born here um, in New York, and her parents are East Indian from Guyana. Um, I am uh, an employee with the U.S. government, and in certain capacities I won't divulge into, but I travel extensively um, providing guidance on various topics to include um, uh, Guyana, uh, Trinidad, uh, Suriname, and Jamaica. So I have um, extensive knowledge with um foreign and overseas um, subject matters. Um, but this is more of a passion project uh, that I've come across in maybe the last nine years or so, and just trying to do certain things to um, make my community better regarding awareness with um, Hindu phobia specifically, and also the, mis the zero representation of uh, Hinduism in the Caribbean in the textbooks as well. For listeners, uh, we're going pretty far back with the mention of that episode with Fred Stella that was 
first episodes we ever did. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. But um, today, what we're going to do is just have a little bit of a free-form conversation. A number of topics came up just in those intros. So let's let, let's keep it close to home. I'm also greater. I'm in New York City. We're talking to people up in Westchester right now, not too far away. So let, let's let's keep it here. Let's talk about the textbook. Most people familiar with AJF, and many of our listeners are not aware of the work we've done over the performing textbooks in California. Um, what what's specific about the, the textbooks in New York City, and what are your specific concerns coming from the Indo-Caribbean perspective, rather than sort of the broader uh, Hindu perspective across all all traditions, different Right. So I became a teacher in 1984 in New York City Public Schools, and in none of the textbooks is there any reference to Indo-Caribbean people or um, how they came to America and to the Caribbean itself. Uh, as listeners may know, Indo-Caribbean people came to the West Indies as indentured laborers from 1838 to 1917, 1921, when indentureship was abolished completely. From there, they started migrating to the United States in the late 1960s. Um, there were small numbers in the 60s and 70s, but from that 1980s uh, onwards, there was an explosion of migrants, uh, Indo-Caribbean immigrants from the Caribbean to the United States. And, and today they would have um, go far beyond half a million people in the tri-state area. They, domi they dominate several public schools in Richmond Hill and in other parts of the city. And yet there is no reference to them in the textbooks or in the classroom in terms of the curriculum about their way of life, about who they are as a people, about Hinduism, which is the dominant faith of most of the Caribbean people. When the Indo-Caribbean people came from India, about 82% were Hindus. Uh, 10-11% were Muslims and the rest were Christians. Obviously, this requires some uh, reference to them as a people who they are, um, their, their way of life. Um, in, in, the, in the public school system, there is a discussion on teachings on virtually every group. The Irish, the Italian, the African-Americans, the Jews, the Hispanics. And here we are, 50 years after the start coming, there is yet to be any kind of reference in the textbooks uh, of New York City public schools about the Indo-Caribbean presence in America, in New York City. So to place this for listeners, you gave a figure about the population of New York City and the greater New York area. What, in terms of the entire U.S., how does that figure? Are there other places of significant Indo-Caribbean presence, or are we talking about the center here? Yeah, the the Indo-Caribbean presence is largely in New York, some in New Jersey, and largely in Florida, in the Fort Lauderdale, Orlando area. But of course, there are um, uh, sparse population in other in other places as well, like in Houston, Chicago, um, Minneapolis, and so forth. Great, Sandy, your perspective on that. Yeah, so that's uh, accurate. Um, so what uh, Dr. Bizram was mentioning, uh, specifically in Southeast Queens, when you had, you had gentrification take place, uh, to his point, when, you know, this late 60s and 70s, when you started seeing um, a large number 
of East Indians from Guyana and Trinidad coming into the uh, New York City area. They settled in uh, Southeast Queens, um, an area that I know, Matt, you're familiar with. Richmond Hill, Ozone Park, uh, Jamaica. Uh, this is an area that's dominated. I mean, if you go down Liberty Avenue and Vishnuji can uh, talk about that, it's uh, just recently renamed Little Guyana. Um, so, you know, you have uh, probably more um, mandirs and temples than you have bodegas on uh, Liberty Avenue, right? Um, so this is an area that's heavily dominated. People brought with them their culture, their religion, um, you know, in this case, Hinduism from the Caribbean. Um, and just something I want to add that uh, Vishnuji touched upon, and this is important for the audience and the listeners, that uh, Hinduism is global, right? Um, it, it, it came to the Caribbean technically before Swami, Swami Vivekananda made his epic speech in Chicago. So that's something that needs, um, it needs mention, it needs credit, and it also needs to be accurately represented in the textbooks. So here um, in, in my home with uh, Vishnuji is uh, with us as we're doing this podcast, we're surrounded by a number of textbooks, um, but specifically just adding to what he said, we'll just make a very specific mention of John Adams High School, which is in uh, South Ozone Park, Queens. And uh, we have uh, a textbook um, that we have here in front of us. It's called American History. And we reference, this is one of the many textbooks um, that we referenced, but this specific textbook, we went through it and it has just a very basic snapshot on Hinduism and uh, India. Uh, but once again, zero representation. And, and this book, this book is only last year's uh, publication. So up to 2023, there's right. still no mention. And, 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 and as uh, mentioned, um, John Adams perhaps has the highest concentration of uh, Indo-Caribbean students and Hindus in, in New York City, perhaps in, the, in all of America, uh, followed by Richmond Hill. Right. And so, so, so just I'm to, sorry, Richmond Hill followed by John Adams. Yeah. Right. So just advancing that now, just to put that in a little bit of context. So imagine here you are, uh, you're in John Adams High School as a student. Um, you're born here, uh, like a lot of the youth are in South uh, Ozone Park, Richmond Hill, Jamaica, Queens. Your parents are um, Guyanese or Trinidadian descent. They're Hindu. Uh, their grandparents came from India to the Caribbean through uh, indentureship under uh, the height of colonialism. And here you are now, you know, 2024, you're sitting in a classroom. Um, and and now we can kind of pivot slightly towards um academic Hindu phobia, right? But here you are in this classroom where your teacher, you know, ninth or 10th grade, you learn about, you know, as Rajiv Maholter would say, the three C's, cast, cows, and curry. You learn about AIT, Aryan invasion theory. All scientifically and academically have been debunked, never happened, uh, totally wrong. So not only are you learning misinformation, but then as you look around, every other student looks like you. Every other student is brown most likely um, from in, you know, Indo-Caribbean um, ancestry and Hindu. So you're learning about the religion in a wrong, flawed manner, inaccurate manner. But there's zero representation um, about Guyana. There's zero representation about Trinidad. I mean, we still have elected officials uh, to even include our president. When I remember he was running and there was a gentleman in the crowd asking him about Guyana, he referred to Guyana as Ghana. Ghana. Um, and that's something that's... Um, you know, 
it's it's a bit funny, but it also it's no. It, I mean, it, it's funny. I tend to laugh at things because yeah. otherwise, sometimes you cry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. No, well put. Yeah, no, I I've laughed at it, but then you know I feel like the joke's also been getting a little old because uh, yeah. I've been hearing that particularly in my circles in in law enforcement as a subject matter um, expert in some of the global projects I work on, specifically in Guyana. I have to start off, and I'm in a room full of law enforcement agents, cops, and police officers. And I have to tell them, all right, we're talking about Guyana, not Ghana. Um, and it's it's in this part of the world, right? Five hour and a half direct flight from New York in our backyard, uh, not Ghana, which is in the continent of Africa. And then, you know, it, it breaks things off. It's a good icebreaker. People have a joke about it. Um, so, yeah, j- just touching upon what Vishnuji was saying, just to give the audience, um, you know, an, in, an inside look. Um, about a, a group of people that in this particular part of Queens specifically is somewhat the majority, right? Um, and this is a problem. We have a good fight between HAF, Infinity Foundation, Kona, um, so many different um, organizations that are bringing forth and exposing regarding Hindu uh, academic Hinduphobia. But specifically me, the project that I've been working on and collaborating with Vishnuji is, is is advancing it and being very specific um, regarding academic Hinduphobia, but under the lens that there's no mention of the diaspora. There's no mention of Hinduism in in the um, Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, and, and and Hindu Hindus are present not just in Guyana but in Trinidad and Tobago, as well as in Suriname and and in neighboring islands, Jamaica, Saint Lucia, Grenada as well as uh, other islands where uh, Guyanese and Trinidadians migrated, such as, such as St. Martin, Aruba, Antigua, uh, and, 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 um, and, and recently in Venezuela and Brazil, as well as in French Guyana. So, so there is this very significant presence of Indo-Caribbean people, Hinduism. They migrated to the United States, brought with them all of their uh, various uh, in- cultural and religious institutions. And they have been, not been given any space in in the textbooks or in any kind of curriculum that is being taught in New York City public school system. Let's stay on the textbooks for one moment before we move on to some other topics, because one of the ways in that HAF is always used in textbooks is sort of equitable rep- representation. Say, how is Hinduism represented vis-a-vis other religions in a given textbook, or in this case, different communities? How in these same textbooks, listeners won't be able to actually see it, so we're relying on the description of it. How are other communities that are major players, major parts of the New York City um, fabric that makes up New York City, how are these represented in the textbooks? What is, you've listed some of the inaccuracies about Hinduism as a religious and spiritual tradition, but I'm talking about dias- other diasporas. How are they mentioned in these textbooks just to place this omission in the context of other of the full book. Right. So, so the Italians, the Irish, the Jews, the Anglo-Saxons, they have a, a significant presence in the textbooks in which their fates are being um, mentioned and discussed, described, um, perhaps accurately, I, I hope anyway, because I'm not an expert in, in, in those fates, but Catholicism, uh, Anglicanism, Judaism, uh, and, and the various um, uh, faith, faith groups in, in, in Christianity are given fair representation, whereas, whereas there is 
absolutely nothing zilch on Hinduism in the textbooks themselves. And and, and I like to jump in there, Matt. Just um, Vishnuji brings up a good point in terms of the inaccuracies and the misrepresentation, but it's very um, unbalanced. Uh, it's it's not there's not a balance there. So. You know, you open up this textbook, for instance, there's only a couple pages, the one that we have in front of us. The title for the audience is called Modern World History, and it's and it's by history, um, not one of the other dominating factors uh, of publishers, but McGraw-Hill, which 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 pretty much dominates a lot of the textbooks, at least in the New York City public school system. It does, yes. Um, but just, you know, adding to that, like, you know, Aryan invasion theory, um, you know, this has been again, a hot topic, and, and I'm in nowhere near an expert, nor am I making that claim. I am an expert. I'm, as I said in the beginning, I'm just, you know, a father and a, uh, trying to, you know, uh, advance in my small circle in the community. But imagine here you are, a student, and you're learning about caste. You're learning about Aryan invasion theory. These are all negative things. They are very much subjective. They've been academically debunked. But, and just to uh, you know, validate your question and your point that you asked about the other religions and diasporas. So the Catholic religion, right? Imagine t- uh, turning and opening a textbook in the Catholic religion, and this may be a bit graphic, but learning about starting off with something nefarious where priests were molesting boys and girls from the beginning of time, right? In the Catholic church. I mean, that's pretty much open source, right? It's not something you want to teach uh, it's negative, number one. Number two, it's not something you want to teach to an impressionable group of high school kids um, in, in, in any public school, but in New York City, rather, in Queens, New York. And then what does this lead to? It leads to bullying. Uh, so an example, you know, oh, you guys got to pay dowry to get married. But what do you have that dot on your head for? Is it like a scratch and sniff? You know, or you're you know, worshiping the cow or you're worshiping the cow. Right. So this is again, there's a lot of great people that are fighting this fight. And I feel pretty confident and it is a, a chance of, uh, 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 to be optimistic rather that, you know, in the next several years, we're going to start seeing change. Um, but at the same time, there hasn't really been change, uh, you know, on that level here in the school system just yet. Um, unless as the teacher uh, you bring in these other materials, which as a teacher, you have the discretion to do, but now this kind of pivots to the the misinformed um, students where they're just like, OK, fine, I, I learned about this. And, you know, they don't really want to question it. And then they just kind of go through thinking that, you know, Sanskrit is a is a language that was uh, for our ancestors where one race dominated another or, or things like that. And then the caste system and all these other things. So all to Vishnu's point and to your question, all of the other religions, particularly the Abrahamic religions, they seem to be represented much more fair if you're to make an argument compared to Hinduism. And then advancing that, there's a zero mention of the diaspora um, within Hinduism, specifically in the Caribbean. Yeah, what you're describing there in those textbooks, similar to what we've seen in, with other publishers in, in different places across the country, it's that Hinduism often gets represented by its most controversial or most negative aspects, whereas the similar negative aspects are not mentioned at all. The example. Um, oh, we have a visitor. I'm going to, for listeners, I'm just going to probably run this and not edit this out. We have another guest coming on. She had coming, calling in from India. Um, and when I'm done with this, I'm going to admit her. And then we're just going to keep going. I'll have her do an introduction. But before I do that, I'll finish my thought, which is 
that the example of um, child sexual abuse and Catholicism, you could use position for an example as well, as those would be presented if it was done in the same way that Hinduism is, as the dominant feature of these religions. And at least in this level textbook, it's always seemed to me to be one should probably be presenting spiritual beliefs first. And if you deal with any of the controversial things, it's a secondary factor. So, okay, I'm going to let Indrani into this, this call, and hopefully her Wi-Fi coming in from India is good. Joining us. Indrani, can you hear us? On mute, according to my settings. Um, I'm muting. Yes. Oh, there, there yeah. we are. Great. Johnny, we, we've been, thanks for joining us. Um, we've been having a bit of a discussion about um, textbooks in New York City. Um, just so people know where you're coming from um, professionally and where you are physically in the world right now, a little bit of a bio and so people can identify your voice. Could you just uh, give a brief introduction for listeners? Okay, I'm out right now, um, out in Tankara, Gujarat, uh, celebrating the 200th anniversary of Maharishi Dayanand Saraswati. Um, I just finished my course at BHU uh, in Hindu studies and making my way back to New York and Trinidad. Excellent. Um, so I realize you're coming late to this discussion. Um, do you have any thoughts about the topic we were just discussing, which is representation of the Indo-Caribbean diaspora in textbooks. We can confine that to New York City or just your perception overall. Well, in New York City, when I taught um, in the school system uh, and we looked for Hindu material, it was always lacking. The history teacher would call me over to teach a little bit of, of Hinduism. And it was so, it was so very open to um, to, to negative kinds of interpretation, you know, the, the cast cows and curry kind of approach. Uh, and it's not their fault. It's really not the teacher's fault because there's no material. So I remember starting, starting a project with my school principal to get Teach India. It was called the Teach India Project. But then I eventually left. Um, so you, we really need materials across the curriculum when it comes to India. Hindu. It's still it's still not um, not available, and I must say that teachers and I have found teachers and the system um, quite open, quite open to receiving our information. I, I never found a blockage there at all. Yeah. So so if you're saying that the teachers are willing to receive this information, open to it, what, what's the holdup? Then? Is it simply that New York City bureaucracy is? standing in the way and there's a long textbook approval process or what do you what, what's the whole no thing? i wouldn't go to the textbook as much as the um the materials that we could help teachers with um that, that's not the the bureaucracy that is the content mm -hmm. where is the content coming from and then when i investigated that i found that it was harvard university i think had that pluralism project um and uh, they had done some stuff they took teachers from New York City um, on that project. I knew one or two who went. And it really turned out, again, not to be, not to be an authentic voice of, of, um, of, of, of 
Sanatan Dharma. It wasn't authentic. It still would have the traditional kind of um, weaknesses from the outsider view. Uh, Matt, if I could just uh, jump in for a moment, yeah, you, you had asked something regarding, um, you know, why wasn't there any changes or within the laws? So again, uh, just put out there, I'm not a scholar, just I'm a community figure, I'm a father, but the, as the research I've been doing and also being engaged with HAF, I believe, um, you know, and to Indrani's point, I believe it's very important as parents, as scholars, um, and as we're sending our kids off to schools that we have to be informed, right? Uh, the first rule, the first part of learning happens at home, right? Um, my daughters are um, eight and five years old. So we teach them whatever values and everything we can have at home. But then, as you know, when we send them to school, you know, the schools have them technically, if you break it down by hours and days, they have them more um, than the parents do, right? Um, so I think we have to be informed. And part of the ways I've been trying to inform myself and then inform other, um, you know, concerned people in the community that I, I've um, been partnering with is by knowing each state is is different um, and interprets their laws in terms of um, education reform and the textbooks. That's something that HAF has helped with um, going back to uh, when Shreen Bala was there and then just getting um, educated on exactly how does it work to change the textbooks. So specifically in New York, um, the research I've done and was shown is that it usually is around the eight or nine year mark is when they start um, reviewing the curriculum and start bringing in uh, other sources or perhaps changing the textbooks. Um, the textbooks have not been changed. Uh, however, uh, to Indrani's point, as a teacher, you are able to introduce other material into the class. You, you, you have that right. You can cite other references where you may have to still go on the part of um, following uh, the, the, the textbook but you can bring in other scholarly material. So, you know, at, at this point, I just want to um, pivot slightly and just talk about the other textbooks that are there specifically written by Hindu Indo-Caribbean scholars, um, you know, to include uh, sitting next to me, Vishnuji, but then also we have a, a wonderful book here by uh, Ramesh Gampad, which is called Sanatana Dharma and Plantation Hinduism that I'm um, almost near completion of reading. This is volume one, and then I'm going to go to volume two. This is a, a great uh, piece of, um, you know, academic scholarly material that really talks about uh, Hinduism in the Caribbean and the larger diaspora that not only at the high school level, but even the college level that um, teachers and administrators um, can can draw on. Yeah, Ramesh is a, is, is a fantastic scholar. He's written several uh, very prominent books, uh, well, well researched, uh, on Guyanese in the United States, uh, sorry, in Guyana. But, but one of the problems in the school system is that the teachers will, will only address a subject matter or a topic. If it is part of the curriculum, if it will be part of the exam for the regions or that would be given. And if it's not there, they are not likely to, um, to teach it, to stress it, and so the curriculum needs to be changed in addition to the textbook, because if you have the textbook and the material is there and it's not part of the curriculum, the subject is not part of the curriculum, the teachers are not going to touch it. And that is why it's very, very important for us to work together with parents, as Sri Raoji just mentioned, in order for them to understand the issue. This is all about them. If their history is marginalized, 
then obviously they're going to be marginalized as a community in New York and the greater United States. I'd like to make a point here um, before I forget that that students have the power to say no to a textbook that, that they are presented with in the classroom. I, I have had that already. I remember once teaching an English um, lit- literature text and the student said to me, she said, you know, um, my mom says I don't have to read that. It, it was a little bit about the, um, uh, what do you call it? It was the, the Native American, uh, I forgot this genre of literature, but it, it, it was like where the animals speak and, and that sort of thing that could look like possession. And she said, no, no, that's against my religion. So, so what I'm saying is student has the right to sing to a textbook. And we have not empowered our kids uh, to critique, or we ourselves as parents have not critiqued the, the text, the content that the kids are writing and, and, and being a teacher. No, we say no to that for my kid. We yeah, have Dr. Power. Indran, Dr. Indran, correct. The, the, the students do have the power to reject the book. And, and they have a variety of choices for them to choose from. So if they don't like a particular book, they could choose another. And that, and I have found in recently over the last few years at John Adams, where I did some teaching, uh, the library now has like a large collection of books from the Middle East, from Africa, from Latin America, but there's hardly, hardly any from India and, and none, actually only one from the Caribbean that I only saw last week. So, so we need to look at these kind of books that are being used for literature. Um, the students have a wide leeway in choosing um, the kind of literature books that they are going to analyze in the region exams. And there is no reason why they cannot select books that are written by Indo-Caribbean writers like V.S. Naipaul and others. Let's leave the textbook half hour on that. And it's been so long We've had an update just on the Hindu experience in Guyana, Caribbean. Um, if it's all right with you three, let's let's update listeners. What what is going on in Guyana, Trinidad, other places where there are Hindus in the Caribbean? What, what's this, what's going on? What should, what should people that are not from that subset of the greater Hindu diaspora um, be thinking? Dr. Indrani, I'll let you go first. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I have found that well, I'm kind of a little distant these days being physically away. But I would say we've been having a spate of attacks on Mondays. Um, that, that is quite, um, well, we've had these over the, over the years, eh? periodic spates of, um, of invasions. So that that's one, and number two, and uh, and and I I uh, and I think Bishramji is um, a good political analyst where where I'm not quite, but I'm looking at the leadership, Hindu leadership, where traditionally the politics, education, and religion came together. Politics, education, and religion came together um, from the British time. So we had to organize ourselves in order to get schools, to get your own Hindu schools. Um, and, and then the labor, labor uh, add labor to that, so that the labor leadership and the Hindu leadership 
became the same in, in Trinidad. And I think uh, Guyana would be about the same too. So that, that, um, that gave Hindus a great sense of power, one person holding a lot of power. Now, that has changed. Even Ms. Pandey, who was not avowedly Hindu as Mr. Maharaj would have been with the first, um, the first Hindu leader, as it were, uh, but Mr. Pandey was very friendly to ev- all religions, and I would say he was seen as a de facto Hindu leader. And right now, we have no Hindu leadership. That space is now created. So it's a shaking up in the community. Who do Hindus look to? The, the institutions that have been in the background are, uh, are really um, needing to step up and respond. Um, but the crack in the traditional Hindu labor, education, religion, um, access, that's a huge crack. The, the political leadership of today that traditionally had seen Hindu issues is certainly um, is certainly not there. I don't know, Vishnu, what, what you yeah, let me just are. Yeah, right. So, so uh, Dr. Indrani is, by the way, Dr. Indrani has a PhD in journalism. So she's, she's an outstanding journalist and she's also <laughs> one of the leading scholars in Hinduism. Uh, she studied at BHU, she studied in Mumbai. Um, she's back at BHU again. She travels very extensively throughout India as well. Um, at one time, she was also on the board, I believe, of uh, University of West Indies. Already no, seen. Analysis. No, okay. So, so she is right. There have been a spate of attacks on on Hindu mandirs, temples in Trinidad. Um, we are not very familiar of of significant number of attacks in Guyana, where I am from. But I'm very, very uh, au fait about what's happening in Trinidad. There have also been home invasions of Hindus or Indians in general in Trinidad over the, over the last couple of years as well, or even preceding that. There have been kidnappings for ransom as well, significant uh, amount of kidnappings. And, and there have been a lot of uh, killings of, of Indians as a result of these robberies. So, so she's right on all of those fronts. Just to, just to um, bring, to, to, to make uh, the, the listeners aware of some names she mentioned. So she mentioned uh, Basil Pandey, who was uh, one of the foremost uh, uh, Indian or Hindu leader in Trinidad and Tobago. And she also mentioned um, Mr. Sat Maharaj, who is also one of the foremost uh, Hindu leaders. He passed away. His son has, um, has, has taken over the, the Mahasabha that, that he led for a very lengthy period of time. Over in Guyana, um, we, we do face very serious challenges uh, uh, across the board in all aspects of life uh, pertaining to Hindus. Um, although Hindus vote for um, "Quote unquote," the Indian government in Trinidad and Tobago and Guyana, the Hindu leaders don't provide much representation, uh, advocating for the issues that impact and affect uh, Hindus in both societies in Trinidad and Tobago as well as in in Jamaica. In Suriname, it's, it's a little different, where the Hindu leaders who got their vote from from uh, the, the political leaders who got their vote from Hindus actually do. Um, advocate for the issues that are impacting and, uh, and affecting the Hindu population and the Indian population in general in, in Suriname. So, so we need a lot of work to be done in Guyana and in Trinidad and Tobago in 
in addressing the various matters uh, um, that impact on, on Hindus. Relatedly, um, last year, November, there was a World Hindu Congress conference convention in Bangkok, Thailand. Um, there was one about four or five years before that in Chicago. I, I was at both and, and in earlier ones as well. The one in Chicago had some discussion about Indo-Caribbean issues. Regrettably, the one in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, there was hardly any discussion on the matters and issues affecting uh, Hindus in Trinidad and Tobago and in Guyana. The spate of uh, home invasions and the attack in Mondays was not discussed and there was no opportunity to discuss them because there wasn't a significant presence of Hindus in, in, in the plenary sessions, in the various uh, uh, seminars and, and, and other group discussions at, at, the, at the convention that took place over several days. These are matters that also need to be addressed, not only uh, by, by the government of Trinidad and Tobago and by New York City, but by, by our leaders as well, the, the leaders of, of Hindu organizations. They need to, to do much more in order to work collaboratively in addressing the issues that Indo-Caribbean Hindus face. Rauji? Yeah, and uh, Matt, if it's all right, I just want to um, expand on that. That's all right. Yeah, it's totally fine. Please. Yeah, so I, I think um, Vishnuji brings up a really good point as well as Indraniji, but uh, that right there, what Vishnuji shared when he was at World Hindu Congress and him and I were uh, daily... Um, uh, messaging each other on WhatsApp. And I was, uh, at something on my bucket list. I would really like to attend to uh, advance, um, my knowledge on, um, you know, the diaspora as well, but I was very um, interested in hearing what was happening at world Hindu Congress and Vishnuji was uh, mentioning me. And I kept asking, well, did they mention anything regarding what's happening on all these things that, um, Indrani G and Vishnuji mentioned in the Caribbean. And as he said, there was little mention, uh, little discussion about it. So I think here is a good part for the listeners. And I want to, you know, briefly discuss the elephant in the room and like this stigma where you're only um, Hindu if you're from India or you're only Indian if you're, you know, um, you know, from India. And then, you, you know, you're hearing from, you know, Dr. Indrani, who is in India right now. Um, and, you know, she's from Trinidad. But, you know, there's this stigma that's out there. And it causes even more confusion, right? Like, like we talked about the textbooks and a specific aspect to that about zero representation on Hinduism in the Caribbean. And, uh, you know, this uh, large group in Southeast Queens and other parts of the states where you have Guyanese and Trinidadians that are Hindu here in North America. But there's also this stigma and it's on both sides. And, and, I, and I, ha I have some examples, kind of life experiences that can resonate with that, where, you know, you could be, you know, uh, a, a Guyanese American or, or whose parents are from Guyana here. Um, and then, you know, being around some um, other folks that are uh, also born here, but whose parents are from India. And then there, you know, there's a discussion and all of a sudden, oh, well, you know, you're not really, uh, you know, uh, Indian. I was like, well, what do you mean? And, you know, the person's name just, I'm just throwing names out there, uh, you know, Ravi Mahabir or whatever the case is. And it's like, oh, well, you know, you have an Indian name, but you're not really Indian because you're from Guyana. Well, I think now is a good part, at least for the audience to remember, as we revere um, Mohandas uh, Gandhi, where did he start his, uh, uh, where did we, where did he learn everything and where did he start 
um, everything it was in South Africa, right? Uh, which is uh, a, a home of a large population of Indians and Hindus. So, you know, I just wanted to, you know, bring up that stigma that's out there. And, and it, it, I believe it resonates with Vishnuji's point when he's at the World Hindu Congress and looking how far that we have come and then, you know, discussing issues about the diaspora and things like that. But how do you not mention the entire diaspora? How do you not mention um, what's happening in the Caribbean, which is very, very important, particularly now with the uh, geopolitical implications with what's happening with Venezuela, um, specific to Guyana and to Trinidad, right in our backyard here, um, you know, in, in, on this side of the hemisphere. So these are things that come up and, and there's a lot of educated people, uh, you know, doctors, engineers, Indians that still think this kind of primitive way. And it's very sad. And, and they have every degree and every acronym to go after their name. Um, and then they still make these really, uh, I think no other word to say, but just really uneducated, ignorant comments. Oh, well, you know, they're not really Indian or whatever the case is. And, and I really push back on that because as I said in the beginning, um, my children who were born here like me, um, their mother who was born here like me, but her family is Hindu. They're from Guyana. Their grandparents came from India. So what, what is there that's not Hindu? What is there that's not Indian? And um, I also tap on HAF to really um, push forward uh, the other global diaspora, specifically with the Caribbean and a lot of the things that we're discussing here, because I think it's important. And as I said, it, it's right here on this side of the world. We don't have to go all the way um, to India, but right here in, in this uh, uh, time zone. And, and, and with uh, Dr. Indrani, as a scholar in Hinduism and her experience, she may even have more to share about that. Well, thank you, um, guys. That's an interesting conversation. I have found in India, I mean, I've, I've been here since 1973. Um, uh, and I come, you know, pretty often all, of, all, all my years. I have found greater acceptance lately. Well, not acceptance, but recognition that, that hey, there are Hindus in the Caribbean. Hey, there is that diaspora of indentured Indians which they themselves here don't know about. In their own school texts, I guess they, they don't even know about um, this kind of diaspora. So I think I would say there's positive change towards that and a kind of more accepting and a kind of respect coming out of the diaspora um, studies and even the ordinary rural people I meet. And I'm just coming out here, Tankara. I... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people passing through and I'm speaking with the police and with all the people would ask, who are you? Where are you from? And they're quite um, impressed that, 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 you know, uh, we are out from the, from the West Indies and we are Hindus. Well, of course I have to introduce myself as coming from the country of Brian Lara. Yeah? <laughs> there, there are no cricket here in India. So <laughs> Brian Lara is my, is my password <laughs> to who and what Trinidad is about. But definitely there is, uh, there is that um, positive feeling. And I, I wonder, we ourselves in the Caribbean, we Hindus have not been able, the leadership, the young leadership, to talk to each other and to get together. You know, we, we are always backbiting. Um, uh, women are, are, are behind. 
Um, and basically, we should have been a force to tell World Hindu Congress, hello, um, we'd like, uh, you know, these issues addressed. We need to do that kind of advocacy now, that when these global things are happening, we need to represent ourselves to them formally. And I think they will accept. It's just we've never done it. I'm right now in Ali Samaj, and, and we've had the whole um, big conference there, and there was uh, the women's conference, and, and I am there, and I was not asked to speak. Davy is there. Davy was not asked to speak. Um, and they just forgot us. I don't know who organized it. You know, maybe the people we know, maybe these are other people, but but they just forget, you know. So so really we is is like is like coming to their consciousness. How do we get in there? How do we but it's they're very open and willing now, more so than ever before, to consider diaspora. So so as 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 I picked up here that there are two issues. One, um, among ourselves, we have an issue and we need to have uh, uh, a greater assertion of of who we are as a people uh, and to work uh, closely with the the nationals from from India, more specifically. And the second issue is um, the problem with the textbook. So we have addressed the problem with the textbook and and we have just discussed the issue of uh, the need for us to uh, work more closely to address who we are as a people, as well as to address the problems and challenges we face in the United States and, and perhaps uh, in, in, the, in the West in general, in the diaspora. And, and then if I could just... So I'd, like, I'd like to interject. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead, doctor. Uh, um, before I forget, I, wa- I want to say that I, I have a, I've been having lately, um, uh, you know, a couple of years now, the feeling that Hindus need to get beyond expecting a Hindu politician to represent their cause. And we need to be to to advocate. We need people across the the political spectrum to advocate for our issues, just like we do in the United States. You you don't have to be Hindu to to advocate for the Hindu issue. And, And to me, if we move that way, there would be greater unity and wider acceptance of, of the issues that we want. But really, I think it's putting pressure on, on the Hindu politicians. They are afraid to identify with Hindu issues. But, but you know, in the U.S., we need to, have, I mean, we do have an India caucus. We perhaps we now need to have a Hindu caucus in the U.S. Congress. That, that might help to, um, to advocate for our issues. I, I believe, Matt, that there is a Hindu caucus. I, I think there is, yeah. There, there yeah. is. Yeah. But, but, but even in that Hindu caucus, I asked one of the persons who is in it that can I, can I connect with that caucus to let them know that there's a Caribbean Hindu element? Because when they, uh, I saw some news report and, and they were representing Hindus in many countries, nothing from the Caribbean. So when you see that, you've got to respond. You got to tell Taneda, hello, I'm out here and I want to get on board. So I got like about two young people, young Hindus that I'm talking to in terms of, of getting them on that, um, you know, that kind of activism. But we need we need to talk to Taneda. That, yeah, that Matt, if I may, I, I just want to expand on that, if that's OK. Yeah, that, that that's fine. We're. 
we're bumping up against time here. Sandy, what, finish your thought. I have one brief question of clarification, and then we can wrap it up with some final thoughts. If that's, that okay. Okay. I, I'll, I'll mention two things now, and then uh, I have, I'll save the last for final thoughts. Uh, so there are two things to break down here. So we have to basically get a seat at the table. And then the other part is also self-improving, right? Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by self-improving? Um, so something very simplistic, um, pluralism in the Caribbean, right? There's still a colonial mindset uh, that I see in, in my extensive travels within the Caribbean, Guyana and Trinidad, as well as, um, you know, Guyanese and Trinidadians that are here. We're still referring, they're still referring mm -hmm. to church, uh, to Mandir, uh, to Temple and Mandir as a church, right? That has to stop. Little little things like that. Little things make up big things. The other thing um, that we have to really self police ourselves is awareness, right? So recently, Jennifer Raj Kumar, who's an advocate and the driving force of making Diwali a city holiday, and has inspired for other organizations to try to make it a state holiday. Uh, I mentioned to her about this textbook issue when she had a town hall in Westchester. It was well received, but I can't do it alone. Um, that event. I have to give credit to these young kids from Scarsdale High School. They um, did that event on their own. They talked about it very well. And then from there, I attended and we talked about the textbooks. So uh, people in her constituency in Southeast Queens should uh, contact her because she's one of the uh, good advocates um, also for this issue on textbooks and advancing some of the issues that mean to us. Um, and then the other thing. Someone that should definitely uh, be here on on this podcast. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some spinoffs. There's a gentleman. He's a YouTuber. His name is Sean Binda, and uh, his parents are from Trinidad. He's in the greater Toronto area. He's got a great, wonderful channel called Hindu Lifestyle that taps into all of these issues because really, it's about the youth being informed properly. And sadly, what we're seeing is is the youth not informing themselves with these issues. I mean, there's so many really great books out there. One I'll mention calling um, I Even Regret Night, uh, Holy Songs of Demerara, which is the only accredited book written um, with songs by an indentured servant uh, translated by uh, Rajiv Mahabir. These are, these are uh, scholarly material that the Hindu Caribbean, and, and there's others that I don't have time to mention now, that you can surround yourself with and you can learn about so getting circling back of these other organizations like World Hindu Congress or whatever, or even the Hindu caucus here in the United States, just bringing forward this information saying, hey, we have issues that are important to us about the diaspora in the Caribbean as well with Hinduism that needs to be uh, mentioned. Interesting you mentioned, Sean. I, uh, I, Sean, if you're listening to this, reach out to me um, if I don't get to you first, because I, I, I did ask him to be on the podcast a number of years ago. Even years ago, the pandemic is one big blur. Some point in that, and he, I believe, was having a child at the moment, so he backed off doing it. But yeah, it's a very good recommendation. Um, the one question is a bit of clarification, and just some, if we can keep answers brief on it. Um, you both, there was multiple mention of break-ins and temple vandalism and stuff. Just to put that in some context, what what's the sense of motivation on those? Is it is it religiously motivated? Is it economic? What's the factors in that? Um, I, I think it's important just so people have the situation clear in that. 
Right. So, so, so the religious leaders feel that it is religiously oriented. The politicians say it's economically oriented. In my view, it's both because, you know, when you commit a crime, of course, there is economics from it. But why only target uh, mandirs and temples and not the churches and masjids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. Indrani? Yeah. Apparently, she's, she's no longer there. Um, she is on mute right now. Uh, yeah, sorry. They, they've been targeting the, uh, some of their own Catholic churches as well, which kind of led me to believe. I don't want to make a brand charge here, but there is certainly a kind of Christian element that I see um, that is new to the Caribbean, which, which, which is an, one of the newer ones um, that is verbally uh, anti-Hindu. That is, um, the rhetoric is very violent against Hindus. And I think that this is a spin-off from that. Um, we have not studied it well. It needs to be studied. To wrap it up, final thought from um, each of you. Um, we can go in a new direction, sum up however you like. Um, who would like to go first? It matters not to me. All right. So, so again, thank you very much, Namastis and uh, Sitaram, uh, for giving us this opportunity to discuss the uh, serious issues uh, impacting on the community in New York and, and, and in the greater Caribbean region. Uh, whatever happened in the Caribbean somehow uh, has connection, trans, trans, is transcended uh, here in New York City and in other parts of the United States. These are very serious issues that we need to address. Hey, um, yeah, Matt, thank you again for uh, having us. I think this is really good and, and I'm really optimistic and hopefully you could have Sean Bindon here. You can have Dr. Indrani and Vishnu on again. And, and there's several other people uh, from the scholarly uh, Indo-Caribbean Hindu community that I think can tap in and spin this and go into different directions. But really, as a parent, as someone that's um, not as uh, scholarly uh, material as um, you know, Dr. Indrani and Dr. Bisram, but I think it's about self-informing. Um, I listened to the HF podcast pretty often. Yeah, a few episodes ago, I think it was Dr. Punkage. Um, he had mentioned uh, something very um, that's, that stayed in my mind about it's on the parents, right? The responsibility is on the parents. We are the first teachers. We are the first things that our students see. And he talked about the gems of India. And um, there's so much history that whether, you know, again, I, I was born here. Um, but, you know, we have to appreciate our culture. We have to uh, really have candid and um, even um, sometimes provocative conversations at home to, to really educate our kids. So that this way, when they are in the classrooms, when they are at, in, you know, eventually going to college and the training wheels are off and, you know, they have a, they're at least well informed uh, from home. But I, I really believe it starts at home. I think that, um, you know, having a well informed um, you know, a, a group of people going out there is, is really important. And I'm also pr- working on a project. It's at the very, another project's at the very uh, beginning stages, but I'm really calling upon all the scholars, all the, uh, specifically the Indo-Caribbean academic scholars. I'm trying to put together, uh, you know, maybe through pro bono or whatever, a textbook, uh, that's probably fitting for the ninth and 10th grade curriculum that talks about, um, you know, the Indo, the diaspora, but specifically Hinduism in the Caribbean. And I'm, I'm asking for help and I'm asking for people to volunteer to make some type of a product that we can at least give out, whether it be at temples or, or, or um, different events 
So to help the parents at home, but then also to introduce it to the teachers um, in the schools. Yeah, if I may jump in here, that project is uh, is already in a, um, in train, Mr. Rao. So so we need to get together. Uh, we are doing a textbook for the CSEC syllabus because that syllabus has no textbook. I've started that some time ago and I'm getting um, some young scholars, especially at BHU, to to jump in and um, with that. So that that would be a very, you know, I mean, I've been 12 years with that with that uh, examination. And I tell you, if all Hindu parents are not there and the students studied just this syllabus on the book, they would be great Hindus. It's got great potential for, for, for teaching them. So let's work on that together as, as, as many people as can to, to jump in with that. And I want to say finally, um, I mean, thank you guys for this wonderful opportunity. We really need to talk more and to, to get um, some action going. And one final point. Did you know that um, the, the libraries, we can make representation to the librarian. I want these books in this library. Oh, and that, so you can ask for your books on the, and they are bound to, to put it in the library for you. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.